Hey, my friends, welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Family Life Podcast. Are you living an extraordinary life? If not, if you are, fantastic way to go. High five, fist bump, big old bear hug. If you're not, what's missing? What, what's holding you back? What's stopping you from living life in an extraordinary way? If, if there's some things that need to change, you know, it might be some bad habits you got to kick, some addictions. Uh, it might be a, a mindset or an attitude that needs to be altered. For many, it, it, and, and, and they tell me this, right? It's not just me saying it. It's like they say, as well, it's, honestly, it's just excuses. It's excuses that keep us from living life in an absolutely extraordinary way. And so let's, let's kick past those excuses and lean in. Oh, lean in and really live. Okay, so I promised you guys some stories. I've been a little hesitant to, to share this uh, because it's so intense and it's so raw and real. And so I share it. I hope you receive it in the, in the, in the way that I am sharing it. I, I hope it's valuable for you as it has been super valuable for me. I have not told this story publicly. This is I, I shared it with my um, with my immediate family and some close friends, and then that's just a small group. And then I shared it with my uh, Be the Man Masterclass and Tribe. I shared it with those guys because there were some valuable lessons here. So this is the first time I'm sharing it publicly, and it's I hope you'll receive it with respect and. Um, and, and with, with the way it's, it's being offered. Okay, here we go. So we were, Rachel and I were, we were in Ecuador. We were training to climb Cotopaxi. And so when we got to Quito, which is an amazing city, I love it. I hope you'll go. And then there's a tram or a cable car that takes you up to, I can't remember the height, maybe 13,000 feet or something like that. And then you hike from there, and there's a distant, a great trail, beautiful trail, hiking up up to the peak. It's called Ruku Pinchicha, and it's it's fantastic, excellent hike. I love it, highly recommend it. Uh, it was beautiful. The, the fog would come in, the clouds would come. You're so high, the clouds come in and go out. I think the peak sits somewhere around sixteen thousand. It's really fantastic. So I already told you the story. If you haven't listened to that one yet, listen to it about the guy we met and really connected with along the way. It was really awesome. And then. Um, as we get up to the top, so we, we, we're working our way up. It took us about four hours to get up there. I was with my wife and then another couple that joined us. And so we were going at a decent pace. And you're, you're feeling the altitude, right? And But we'd been training. I, I felt great. I was in great shape and feeling good. And so we, we made it up. Um, so you go along this path for a long way, and you, you get these little kind of these small summits and these small summits. You're rolling along, and then, then it starts towards the end. It really starts to get steep, and you hit this spot where it's just steep sand. And that, man, hiking in sand. We just hiked last uh, last weekend. Uh, so last week, I led a humanitarian leadership trip, and it was oh man, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Did that again. I've been doing that for maybe six years. Did that again here in Guatemala. Had a bunch of youth come down, and, and one parent joined us, and and just had an incredible experience serving, learning from these wonderful people, and and helping the the local indigenous people help themselves and grow garden boxes, and just a phenomenal experience. And I think we're going to do another one. We're here in Guatemala right now, and we're, we have a little cottage here, a little cabin up in the, in the mountains, and we're, we're remodeling it. 
I think, and we're going to stay here for a while because we love it. So I think we might do another trip if you guys want to come down and have a life-changing experience. And we went down the lake. We went cliff jumping and facing some fears. And then we hiked this volcano. And, and it made me think of it because you're hiking in the sand some spots. And you take a step and your foot just slides back. And, oh, man, the grind, right? Especially mentally. It is physically challenging, but mentally to just grind up that volcano. And then, you guys, we stayed the night on this dormant volcano, which was right next to an active volcano. And it was just exploding all day and all night. And at night, when, when the sun's... It, during the day, you see ash. At night, you see lava. Just boom! Oh, man, it was so cool. And so freezing cold <laughs> and windy and awesome. And then you hike up early and watch the sunrise. Absolutely incredible. Anyway, so back in Ecuador... We are climbing up the sand spot, and that that's that took a long, uh, long time, right? Because you're just taking these baby steps. That's when you're just really winded. It's really steep. You're just doing these tiny switchbacks, and then when you get to the top of it, there's a there's a part that's loose rock and gravel, and it's really steep. And then you're you're kind of scrambling over some rocks off a couple of sides. There's a ton of exposure. There's big cliffs, um, and and so that whole the whole last area. It's not it's not far, but it can be pretty sketchy. And if you're careful and you walk carefully, all good, right? So we get up to the peak and it was it was cloudy and cold and we get up there and right, you know, we're sitting up there for a minute, and all of a sudden the clouds part, boom, we get to see the city of Quito, the sun comes out, we take some pictures there with the sign and off the peak and just a beautiful experience. And then we enjoyed we enjoyed it for maybe we were probably up there maybe because the sun came out, it was nice. We stayed up maybe 20, 30 minutes and then, then we start working our way down. And we'd started early in the morning. So we had a plenty of time to get to the peak and get off the mountain. So then we start working our way down slowly, and, and we're picking our steps. So nothing risky. nothing. I didn't feel at all in danger with Rachel and I. We're just kind of working our way down. And we get to the sand part and kind of walk down through that. And then Rachel Rachel was tired. She's like, I just I want to get this over with. I want to get off this mountain. So she puts in her, her AirPods and cranks on her music, right? It's her workout music, and she was gone. And so we start cooking it down and even doing a little bit of trail running along the trails. And, and we get, I'm guessing, about a third of the way down. And so we were cooking it. And the other couple that was with us, they were, they were coming down slower. And I just had this, this thought, maybe an impression that I should wait. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe I should wait and make sure they're okay. Because they, we, I, I was looking back, watching the trail, and I didn't see them. I'm like, I'll just wait because I know I can catch Rachel. So she takes off, I give her a kiss, and she takes off, and I just sit there enjoying the sunshine and the view, and I sit down for a little bit, watching. Just It's got these peaks all over. It's just gorgeous up there. So I'm sitting, waiting, and um, a minute later, uh, the, the lady that, from the couple that was we were waiting for, she comes up, and she's like, oh, thanks for waiting for me. Somebody fell back up top. We were already down quite a ways, and we heard them fall, and I saw the last part of the fall, so we called 911 to let them know somebody had fallen. And so they said, because so, they were down, so she had fallen near the top, right, where it was kind of steep and sketchy, and they were already down at the bottom of the big sand area. And and they both admitted, the couple said, look, we're just, we're just not in good enough physical condition to head back up. And we could not tell from where we were if it was serious or what was going on. We didn't know, so we just called 911. So they called 911, they talked to the firefighters, so the whole system there was was operates through these firefighters, right? The, the bomberos. So they told them, he said, "Hey, somebody fell. I don't know how bad it is." And they're like, "We need to know." And like, "Well, like, we don't know. We're not with them. We just knew somebody fell. So you might want to send somebody up." 
and, and so there was it started with you know tough communication that they didn't know how serious it was and so you know if you're receiving that call do you go up or do you wait for additional information what do you do i mean it was a hard situation right so they didn't know what was going on so they made the call and then they head down so by the time they got to me like yeah somebody fell we don't know we don't know we, we know nothing we, we have no idea if if the person's fine they're coming down or if they're really hurt we don't know and so i'm standing there with for me that's becomes a moral dilemma like what do i what do i do do i go back up and again this is the steepest hardest part of the trail it's about a third of the way back up I'd, I'd literally be summiting again do i go back up or do i just head down and we had we had uh, dinner reservations that night for the four of us at a you know Michelin star restaurant, super nice restaurant that evening. And we had all these great plans. My wife was way ahead. She didn't know what was going on. Do, what do I do? Do I put, you know, I have my pack. We all had our own pack. Do I just, do I hike off with them? Do I go catch Rachel? It could be nothing. It could be a rolled ankle. It could be serious. I, I had no idea what to do. And I sat there and I wrestled with it for a minute and I wrestled out loud with them. What do I do? Do I go back up? And, and here's why I have, I have medical training. Um, I, I worked on an ambulance for a couple of years as a volunteer. I'd taken some courses for wilderness rescue. I've, I'd had opportunities to help people and I was in phenomenal physical shape. Uh, I told you guys a story where I uh, had the opportunity to carry a guy all the way off a mountain, right? They got hit by a boulder. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, okay, if there's, if there is somebody in trouble and I can carry him, I know I can do it. There are very few people on that mountain that could physically do it. I can do it. And so that almost gives me a moral responsibility, right? And I have some medical training. And I know that if the firefighters are fast, it's three hours before they get up there. And I'm, I'm not, I was only a third of the way down. So ultimately, I'm like, ah, I got I to gotta at least find out. I can't go down and not know. I got to at least find out. So I asked them to carry my backpack down and I ran. So I didn't take any water with me. I didn't take a headlamp or anything. It was early afternoon. And so I ran and I ran as far and as fast as I could at about 14,000 feet. Right. Um, and I got, I ran most of the way back to the sand part. And then I just grind through that thing. I had a new um, hiking stick that I'd bought hiking pole that I left up there. Um, and so I just was grinding up that sand pit, just getting up there. And I think I got back to him. I, I, I should have checked time. I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't check time. I think I got back to him maybe probably 45 minutes from the time of the fall. Uh, I was cooking it. And, and here was an indicator. I'm, so I'm just going to walk you through what's going on in my mind. Nobody's coming down. There's people going up and I'm passing all these people that are going up. Nobody's coming down. So that's, that tells me something. There's a lot of people on the mountain. If not a soul's coming down, something has stopped them, right? Nobody's coming off the mountain. And so that's a sign right there. I'm like, okay, this is probably serious. So then I can't see anything from the bottom of the sand. So I start grinding up the sand um, side, the site, and, and I can see a, a group of people. So I know it's serious. So then I get over there, and when I walk up, it's a woman and she's laying at the edge of a cliff that was probably again it was steep loose rock everywhere it was drops so it was probably another 10 or 12 foot drop to more steep loose rock and she's covered in blood and there's she's surrounded by four people and then there's a bunch of people just standing around and so i i jump in and start asking start talking i start talking spanish and the one lady 
looks up at me and she's like, I don't speak Spanish. I'm like, oh, well, okay, you speak English. And, and she speaks English. So we start speaking English and then it turns out she was from France. So we can speak a little French as well. So she had had some medical training uh, and she was the only one with medical training. The others were just there supporting her. And what they were had done, they were just holding her in place and she was semi-conscious and upset. She wanted to sit up. She wanted to move. She was frustrated. She was in a lot of pain. Um, and, and they had tucked themselves under her and around her to keep her from falling more. And they'd been sitting in these awkward positions on, on rock for 45 minutes. And if any of you have ever sat in an awkward place without moving for a while, you know how much that starts to hurt your body. And they, they were fatigued mentally and emotionally and, and physically fatigued. I could tell that right away. So I start doing an assessment and, and talking to this, this French woman and saying, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here? And they show me she had a huge uh, wound on the side of her forehead, um, blood all over her face and head. Um, she showed me her leg and, and, I'm, and I apologize for being graphic, but I want you to feel the reality of this. Her tibia, which is her shin bone, was snapped, it just completely snapped down by the foot, and her foot was just, just dangling the wrong direction. And the tibia was just kind of um, just protruding there. And so the foot was completely broken. And so the, the leg wasn't having, and she was kind of a, a, a bigger lady. And she's in bad shape. And so I start, I'm talking with the French lady who had, had, again, had medical training. She'd done an assessment. And I said, what, what are you seeing? She's like, I was feeling her spine. Um, she said, I stopped because I felt something move. Um, I assessed the neck. So, so we're, and, I, and then I start getting information, you guys. And she had fallen far, crazy far, at least 150 feet, if not more, and just had tumbled out of control. And so she was, it was very, very severe. And so I asked if they'd called again, and they'd called, and I asked if they could ask for a, a, a helicopter. I'm like, there's no way we're, we're getting off of here, and if we have to wait too long, we just can't wait. And she was in very, very bad shape. And so we're trying to, she's trying to move, we're trying to keep her spine straight, we're trying to keep her neck straight, we're trying to help her be as comfortable as possible uh, on rocks, we're trying to cover her to keep her, you know, she's already in shock, of course. And so, you know, I started asking around. I asked one guy. So I replaced one of the guys so he could rest a little bit. And I kind of got on the cliff side of her and put my knees up under there to hold her and keep her from sliding off. I asked for spare jackets or blankets. Um, so we covered up, tried to keep her warm. Um, I We were trying to look for it, we any, any materials we could use to make splints or um, anything to secure her, her neck and her head and her body. Just keep her stable. Um, and more comfortable and so I opened up her backpack because I was going to empty out the contents to use the backpack kind of as a, a little neck roll and neck brace so they could hold somebody was holding her head and when I opened it up there was some uh, wrappings some containers of some alcohol alcoholic drinks so uh, I could tell they had been drinking and and I didn't know who was who right all I knew was the French lady and all the other people around that were helping and they all they all knew her name her and they were using her name. Um, and so I, I assumed that they they were a group together. They'd come together. They're talking to her. Man, I'm not even sure now. Afterwards, I'm not even sure how they found her name because she was just in and out of it. She'd 
she'd kind of pass out and then she'd wake up and come back and want to move want to sit up and so we're just doing everything can I'm trying to make comfortable trying to get a helicopter and they just kept no no helicopter no helicopter and they said the the firefighters are on their way they're on their and we're like I, we just can't wait she's in too severe of a condition and the sun had gone behind the mountain now and i know in mountain conditions man when the sun goes down things get cold and it gets dark like crazy dark fast and then things for everybody get a lot more risky and so we were there with her i always I, I just thought i'm going to quickly send a message to my wife because it's bad and so i sent a message I, I without even thinking i just sent this message i said she's really bad go home without me that's all i wrote well i, I didn't realize i hadn't told my wife my wife had no idea what was going on right because she had gone down and I, and I just kind of assumed that the couple had had caught up with her and i found out later they hadn't so my wife gets this text from me and she's cruising down the mountain she's really bad go home without me and my wife's like who who's really bad like what's going on right but then she starts processing she's like wait a minute she's like i'm, I'm assuming somebody got hurt and greg went back to help and she's like, it's not going to be the couple we were with because he's saying, go home without me. So she she went through all this deductive reasoning, right? So it's not the couple. He's up there helping someone. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. So she keeps heading down, gets down um, to the tram and waits for the other couple. So then we're up there for a while and we're, again, there's, you're, you're, you're far away. You only have what's on your back and other supplies. We're calling people in to try to get some help, trying to get the helicopter or uh, search and rescue up there. And there, without, especially the condition she was in, she was in severe condition. And I fully suspected and then later confirmed that she had in, severe internal injuries. I mean, she'd just fallen so far and so hard over rocks and cliffs. And, and so you're just so limited with what you can do, which is, is it's so frustrating. You guys can imagine, you can imagine that situation, right? There's things with more material. I mean, you'd have to have an ambulance up there with you and you can't pack an ambulance up, right? There's just, there's things that can be done in a hospital or a helicopter or an ambulance that is just so frustrating. So you do what you can and so we were kind of stuck and, and, I, and I was talking through the, with this Frenchly. I'm like, I, we're waiting. They won't send a helicopter. We're waiting at least three hours for these firefighters to get up here. And even when they do, there's not a whole lot they're going to bring, but just to carry her out, I'm like we're, we're fighting time here for her life and for the cold and for the darkness. And so we're trying to do everything we can. And then it, it, ultimately it was just just me and the French lady right there. And, and because of the nature, I was, I mean, I was, I was, had my legs tucked up to keep her from falling. I'm, I'm squatting down right in there. We're trying to make her comfortable. We're watching her pulse, watching her breathing. I mean, we're right there close. Like because I was squatted down like that, I mean, we're, we're within 12 inches of her face right there with her. And she died right there in our arms. And I got to watch right there close that that last process uh, of the difficulty breathing and and her body just in shock and, and she's passed away right there in our arms, twelve inches 
you know, face to face, we're there, and, and you know, we we did everything we could. Even tried some resuscitation, which at that point was it, it, it was pretty futile. And and to and she was in her, you know, mid twenties, I'm guessing. But to watch another human being, a human life, a precious life, just end right there is it's sobering and it's difficult. And the people who had been helping her just broke down and everybody just started sobbing and people watching just, whoa, I mean, it's, it's so traumatic. And most people aren't used to that. They're not prepared for it. Not prepared for it mentally or emotionally. And and man, they, a few people just just lost it. They're just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and crying and, and trying. You could tell they're trying to process it. And and now she was gone. You know, I was trying to comfort some of them. And 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 I again, I was assuming that they were with her, right? Because especially because of the way they were reacting, just crying. I'm like, these must be her friends. Must be a group of friends. And they're processing it. The French lady, the, the the people that were there, and then you know I knew I knew she was gone. There was nothing more we could do for her. But I realized time was passing quickly. It was getting darker, and it was going to get cold. And most of these people had started in the morning, and they needed to get off this mountain because they didn't bring anything to help them through the night. And most of them didn't have headlamps either. So I start I start you know there was a crowd of people standing around. And so I started thinking, okay, we, we got to help these people get off the mountain before there's more casualties. And so I started going around and trying to comfort and process, say, hey, we, we, we do need to start heading down the mountain. We don't want to be walking out in the dark or the cold. Let's, let's start heading down. There's nothing more we can do. And so I start, I start moving people off the mountain, start helping them get down, right? Just try to, again, protect them so we don't have any more problems. And as I'm doing, I'm going to come back, you guys. I learned so many powerful lessons from this. And I think there's lessons here for all of us. And I'm going to come back and hit on the lessons, but I'm going to tell the story first. So that we start moving people down. And I'm, I'm trying to say there's a couple of people up above, and I'm trying to move them down. There was one guy that we'd seen. It was He was there with his wife and their son, who was maybe 10 or 12. And he was still up there. And I'm, I'm kind of wave, wave people down from up above, and he was trying to wave me up. I'm like, what? What's going on? And so I hike up higher. And there was there was a guy up there who had also fallen, and 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 this this really awesome man, the man who was up there with his wife and his kids, he was solid. This guy was solid. He ended up helping the whole time, and he'd been up there holding this other guy that had fallen. He was kind of sitting on the, he was just sitting. The guy who'd fallen was sitting on the edge of a rock, kind of leaning forward. He was kind of out of it, and this guy had been holding him up this whole time, just sitting there holding this guy in place so he didn't fall off. And so I get up there. As soon as I walk up, the the guy who had fallen just kind of looks up to me and he's like, "Did she die?" And I said, "Yeah, she did." I'm like, "Did you know her?" She's like, "He said, yeah, that was my girlfriend." And the guy who had been holding him made a sign to me behind him that he had been drinking, and so I realized that the two of them had come up together and they'd been drinking, and they're drinking near cliffs and steep rocks at about 16,000 feet above sea level. There is a lesson there for all of us. So we start assessing this guy. He had broken his leg. 
broken his arm and had a lot of pain in his hip. And he was on an even kind of steeper, looser rock area. And I don't know the whole story. I don't know how either of them fell, but he was in rough condition. And so we were like, do we try to carry him? Every time we try to even just touch him, remove it all, he was in so much pain. So again, we're trying to comfort him, trying to keep him warm, cover him up, get him comfortable, stabilize, assess a little bit. Uh, again, there wasn't much we could do with a broken arm and a broken leg and, and just kind of keeping him clear. And so we were, we're there with him for a while. Most of the people started heading off the mountain. And finally, I mean, it was a long, long time. Finally, the the firefighters got there and they get up there. They start unpacking all their equipment and they we're going to kind of put him on a, a back brace and a neck brace and then get him in kind of this little makeshift sled so that then we can lower him down off the steep parts and then, you know, walk him out. And the, the firefighters, I think, I think three or four of them came and they start going through their equipment and, and they were, they were so slow. They were just kind of looking at their stuff and, and I could tell they didn't know how to use some of the equipment. They were just looking at it kind of like, okay, we could use this. And they're trying to assess and they're trying to put on a leg breast for a leg brace for his leg and didn't know quite to do. So I jumped in to help him do that. And we're kind of holding this guy and supporting him. Um, and then they were just, you know, getting their things. I mean, it's just, it was, it was crazy to me how there was no sense of urgency and they're just kind of doing their thing. And this guy's in tons of pain and he's starting to, he's starting to fade off. Right. So then we put a, we get an arm brace on and he's just screaming. We get the back brace and the neck brace in place. And again, they just, they were, they just weren't very efficient or effective. And so me and this other guy that was there helping and his poor wife and son had, you know, seen all of this and they were just standing there in the cold now, just waiting. And so then we put the, we kind of with the brace on, then there was another mountaineer that kind of came over and started helping. And he, you know, he knew his equipment, knew his gear. So he's helping jumping in and two of the firefighters just stood there with their phones on so they could take video and picture and did that the entire time. It, which blew me away. And so I'm, I'm kindly just with, with respect. Trying, hey guys, we need to move. Let's, let's be more, let's, let's have some urgency here. He's, you know, he's going to go in shock. We got a long way out. It's getting cold. Let's, let's move. We have to have a sense of urgency. We already lost one person because there wasn't the fast enough, you know, and I don't, I don't know. Of course I don't know, but I suspect had we gotten her in a helicopter, maybe they could have saved her. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the injuries were too much, but time is critical in, in certain situations. And it, it is a matter of minutes or hours that saves lives or loses lives in some situations. It, it, it's, it's a big deal. Anyways, so they were just a couple of firefighters. They, they were just thought they were there to video, take pictures. And the other ones were just kind of moving along. And so I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's move, let's go. And so we got his braces on. Got him leaned back, got him in the sled, got him all secured. Again, it took way, way longer than it needed to. And then, you know, then we started slowly moving him down and, and they didn't work as a coordinated group. There was no coordinated effort. They, And I'm like, okay, you know, and I, and, and I realized I got to get off the mountain. I have no water. I have no food. I have no headlamp. I just got my jacket on. And, and all these people who are sticking around to help now, which solid guys, I'm like, look, do you need us? Or, or can we take our families and get off this mountain? I was, was concerned about the, the gentleman, his wife, and his son, too. And they're like, well, no, we need your help. Yeah, we, we totally need your help. 
and I'm like, okay, let's go, let's move, let's let's get this let's get this process going because it's a long way out, and it took way longer than it. And then we started we started working them down, you know, sections again. They were so slow, and and I get I understand going slowly for safety. We weren't we weren't risking him or us at all. It was just it was just there was no sense of urgency. It was like oh we're just going through this process like almost as though he wasn't really injured. We're just kind of pretending. It was it was crazy. So finally we got him down off the the sketchy parts, and I would jump down below and I would lower him, I would catch him. You know, as they lower him down, and we'd kind of we had to like trade off because there was no open area where a few of us could just hold on to the sled and move him down. So we had to like kind of uh, leapfrog down. There was rocks falling down. It was crazy. So we get down to the sandy part, and then at that point, it's just sand, so we could just move right. And I'm like, okay, get rid of the rope. Let's go. Let's get four guys on here, and let's just bomb it. And and so you're you're going down. You can go pretty quickly in the sand and pretty safe, right? But you're you're straining. Now I had I had gone all the way to the summit i'd gone a third of the way back down i'd run back up and i, I was right near the summit by that point so essentially i'd summited twice and then you're going down carrying a guy uh you know he's probably 160 pounds and and then all the equipment around him and then you're just you're you're holding it so so it goes at the right pace and it's so it's stable right you're just burning your legs and your arms and your shoulders just just an extreme workout and so we get you know, with with four, we moved pretty quickly through the sand part. It was it was that was the safest, easiest place, and we got quickly down through there. And by then, it was it was it, the sun had set and dusk was passing. It was really we were losing light very quickly. There was very little light left by the time we got down to the sand. So at that point, I said to the guy who had helped and his wife and his son, "I'm like, hey, you need you need to head down. Just really take care of your family. Let's go." And and I and by that point, then um, you know maybe eight, six or eight more firefighters had finally made their way up there. And they had come up to help uh, extract the guy and the body now of the lady who had passed. And I noticed almost all of them were a little overweight and out of shape and they were struggling. This is the firefighters. And you know, I'm just taking note of all these things that I'm, that I'm observing here. And, and so then I'm like, okay, do you guys, do you guys need me anymore? Or can I, can I head out of here? And they're like, no, we got, there's enough firefighters now. We're good. Go, go meet up with your wife. So Rachel's sending me messages, and she's like, "Oh, hey, the the cable car is closing, and we're trying to get them to hold it. There's a line here. We're trying to tell them the stuff going on. They're trying to get them to hold it, but it's closing. And they say when they close it, it's done. And at that point, if if the cable car stops, it is a long, long way down to the car, right? And I'm already spent, and so I'm running, and so I run. So it took it took Rachel two hours, and she was she was moving. It took her two hours." Um, to get from the top to the bottom to the cable car. And so I just start running and running and running. And then it gets dark and completely dark. And then the fog comes in and I'm just booking it. And it's like these washed out trails, right? Where the water run down and it's unstable. I can't see anything. And I'm just running, you know, just as fast as I physically can. And I'm again, mentally I'm, I'm processing what happened. I'm also just trying to stay mentally positive and tough and just, uh, just, you know, the self-talk, right? We're just like, I got this. I can run like this all night. I can do this stuff. Like I'm in there. And I'm just trying to stay positive, trying to, trying to stay in the game. And I had, I had mentally stayed in the game the entire time while I was up there helping. Uh, I, I kept my cool. I, I kept clear. I, I, I've trained myself to think very clearly in, 
as clearly as I possibly can in emergency situations because you have to keep your cool. You have to keep your mind clear and focus and your emotions in check because you, you don't want to, you know, add to the problem. And so I, I was cabinet mentally. There was there was a uh, there's a there's a lesson there for all of us when emergency situations and tough situations you got to keep you got to practice beforehand do simulations scenarios whatever like you've got to keep it cool you got to keep it together so anyways i'm running as fast as i can move and it's dark and i'm and i'm just trying to have fun with it you know and, and again processing everything i can and trying to keep perspective and so i made it from the sand part to the cable car 40 minutes i was cooking and i get down there and it, it was still going but there was no one there the the side where you get on was closed so i went to the other part i'm like hey guy and these guys were sitting there on their phones I'm like guys you gotta let me yeah let me down and they're like it's closed sorry and i'm like no man there was an emergency i had to help please like this is a it's a it's a unique situation there was a huge emergency i was up there for hours helping out like, please, we let me go down to my wife. She's waiting at the bottom for me. And they're like, no, no, we can't. I'm like, please, like, can't, you can't make an exception? I mean, was, there was a legit emergency. Somebody died up there. You can't make an exception? And he's like, all right, where's your ticket? And Rachel had taken my ticket, right? And maybe it was in my backpack. And I'm like, I don't have my ticket. They took it. I was up there helping. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, I'm like, come on, please. He's like, okay, show me a picture. I'm like, show you a picture of what? Of the emergency? And they're like, no, show me a picture of your wife. So I pull out a picture. And I show him a picture of my wife. And there's the other guy. And they look at each other like, no, we didn't see her. And I'm like, you. <laughs> just, you know, I was, I was at the point of like, you know what I just went through? Do you realize what I just went through? I'm, I'm, you're letting me on this thing. And they're like, well, okay, show me a picture of the emergency. And so... I actually during during a when there was a spot where nothing was going on, I did take one shot, right? And so I was able to show them a shot. And like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. There was still heads. I'm like, I'm getting on it. So I went, I stepped on, and I got on the thing, and it was it was circling around like a ski lift. So it started going down, and I'm sitting in there now. I'm sweating, but it's crazy cold. My body's starting to cool off. My muscles are starting to tighten, and I'm, and I know I have like a 20 minute ride down by myself in this little glass cage. And I'm, I start. I take a whole bunch of notes in my phone. Just I'm trying to process all this, because there, there's a there's a lot to process. And I get about halfway down. It's completely black. I mean, it's just totally dark. And you're in this cable car. I can't see anything. I'm by myself, and it just stops. The cable car just stops. Boom. It's done. And I realized they'd turned it off. They were done for the night. And in my head, I'm like, okay. I literally might be spending the night in this thing. And I'm like, it's going to be a cold night because I am drenched in sweat. I've pushed myself beyond my limits. I know there's going to be a little bit of of kind of shock. Because when I, when I push myself really hard, my body kind of goes into shock. And I just kind of have to get in the fetal position and just <laughs> just sit there and shake and tremble and like exhaustion. I, I do that for like 30 minutes after I push really hard. And I'd pushed very hard. So I'm like, okay, I might have to curl up on the floor of this cable car and spend the night here. And uh, 
so I messaged Rachel. I'm like, they just, it turned off. And she's like, oh. So she luckily ran over to the guy at the bottom and was like, my husband's on there. He's like, no, there's nobody on here. It's, it's empty. He's, no, we're done for the night. He's like, no, my husband's on there. He just messaged me. He's halfway. He's on there. Turn this thing on. And she pushed and persisted in Spanish. Right? I was so proud of her. She's like, turn this thing on and get him down here. So luckily they did turn it on. And, and then I got down there. I stepped out of it. And my legs were just so weak and wobbly. And, and I was, man, a lot of emotion. I hugged my wife. And and I had kept it cool until that moment. But man, just to hug her, a lot of the emotions came up. I started to really breathe and shed a few tears. And it was pretty intense. And then we, you know, it was late by then. We went back to the hotel and just laid in bed trying to get warm because I was freezing. And the blasted shower at our hotel. We're staying in a nice hotel, but the water was not hot. And so I took a cold shower. And then, oh, just, oh man, it was so cold. And, and Quito's cold. So I'm, then, I, oh, then I just got wrapped up in bed and ate some leftovers and just sitting there just shivering. But And then, then it, it was good, right? And I was fine the next day. But I, wanna, I wanted to share that story because there's a lot of lessons, big, big takeaways for all of us. And, and here are some of the things. And please, please don't misunderstand me. Again, please receive this whole story in, in the way I'm sharing it. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be mean but I observed some things that I think would help all of us be better human beings in life and especially in emergencies. And so please receive it that way. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be mean. I want to honor the people that were there and, and, and I'm not trying to pass judgment because I, everybody has their own journey and, and, and I think most people are doing the best they, they know how, but there's huge takeaways here for all of us, how we can step up, how we can be better. And I'll just kind of go through in no particular order of some of the lessons that I that I observed. Some of the people that were standing around, including later some of the firefighters, they were worthless in that situation. They were standing there doing nothing, even when we asked them for specific help. I remember, you know, hey, can you help with this? Can you get this? And they just stood there. And, and I, I speak gray Spanish, so it wasn't language barrier. They just didn't do anything. They just... And again, I'm not trying to judge them specifically because I don't know what they've been through. I don't know how they're processing. I don't know. It was training conditioning. And the lesson for me is when there's an opportunity to do something, do something. And if there's a way we can prepare ourselves to be useful, right? I'm, I'm going to get intense here, you guys, because the takeaway is, is massive for me. And I, this is the way I train my kids. This is the way I work with my coaching clients and mentees. Like, prepare yourself to be useful, and you prepare a long time before the situation comes. You have to actually anticipate. What are some of the things we might experience? What are some things that might happen in life? What are things that regularly happen in life? How can I prepare myself that when there's a situation, I can step in, I can act. Very few people act. Even in emergency situations, when people can act, they don't. We've been conditioned to think, oh, someone else will stop. Someone else will help. Even if there's some somebody sitting in a car, you know, on the side of the road, and, and you can tell they have a flat tire. You ever you ever driven past some you know cute little old lady sitting there in a car, and there's a flat tire, and you think, oh, someone will stop. No, you stop. You're the someone. Right? Like well, I don't well, I don't know how to change a tire. <laughs> Learn how to change tires, people. Right? We've got to become useful in lots of different ways. That's just one example. There's lots of things we can learn 
including language, including medical skills, including emotional support and preparing yourself psychologically, getting resources, earning lots of money so you can help financially. Like find out your ways. You can't do all things, but you can do as many as you can and and maybe pick a few things where you feel inspired and impressed like that's the thing I need to prepare for. And blasted prepare. Let's be prepared people, especially you men. I'm speaking to you men here. And and this is what my whole master class is all about is helping us be men in every aspect of life. We cannot be weak. We cannot be cowardly. We cannot be sickly little wimpy clods. <laughs> I'm kind of picking parts of a quote there. That do nothing and that aren't useful or helpful. And, and, and forgive me for being blunt here, but man, in, there are so many situations in life where we need to step up and be useful in our families, in society, in neighborhoods, in the world. Make yourself useful. Take on responsibility. Develop the skills. Some of the guys up there were super solid and very helpful. And they were, you know, it was it was three or four of us that were carrying the bulk of the load even after the firefighters showed up. We still carried the bulk of responsibility and, and we're doing as much as we could. And, and again, I'm not boasting or bragging, but there's a lesson there. There was a few who were carrying the majority of the load. And isn't that mostly the case in life? The few who have prepared themselves, the few who have made themselves useful, end up doing the bulk of the work. And in that case, it's usually not 80-20. It's more like 95-5. And you see it in business, and you see it in organizations, you see it in churches, you see it in life. Become that person. Don't be the bystander. Don't be the, the person that's distracted, that's not even there, that's not even present, that keeps on going. So, I mean, how many opportunities to serve do we miss because we're just so absent-minded? We're not even around. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still the nice, loving me, man. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak with a little bit of fire here because sometimes we need, we need this reminder to level up. Here's some other observations. They took way too long. How many things in life need to be done with a sense of urgency? And, and again, a healthy sense of urgency. We're not talking about risking anything here. But time matters. It's precious. Whether it's you know fixing your marriage or raising your kids or helping somebody who needs help or or getting your act together, fixing your own problems, fixing your finances, getting healthy, like don't take too long. We we just we procrastinate and we just kind of drag our feet. We go through life da 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 da. We just take too long. The the firefighters were too out of shape. Oh, on the way down when I was running out, I came across lots more of them. There was a bunch more coming up, and they were hurting. They were hurting big time. They were overweight, they were out of shape, and they were just plodding along so slow. Get in shape. Get healthy. There was some who were too incompetent. I could tell there had not been enough training. Not near enough. They didn't know how to use their equipment. They didn't know what to do. And again, I'm I'm very incompetent in a lot of things. But I'm every single day without fail, I'm working on improving myself in some area of life. Now, it can't be every area, but I'm going to pick the ones that I think I am best fitted for, things I want to help out in and where I want to make a difference in the world. But there's too much incompetency. 
And so I humbly and kindly ask you, where are you too incompetent? What are your incompetencies? What are the areas in your life where you feel like, yeah, I've, I have got to figure this out? Most of us struggle in life because we reach the limit of our skills, our current skill set. And again, whether it might be a marriage skill set, it might be an influence skill set, it might be a social skill, how to communicate, how to have conversations, it might be financial, it might be in your work, it might be in, I don't know, fixing things. I mean, how many, how many of you have some leaky faucet or some broken door or something around your house you just haven't ever gotten to? And you're like, I don't know how to do that, right? Figure it out. Get on YouTube. There isn't anything that YouTube, you and YouTube can't do together, right? But we've got to overcome our incompetencies. Um, they were too slow. Again, that takes too long, but you know, take too long to get there, but too slow when they got there. We've got to be able to be efficient and effective. There are things that need to get done. I mean, how much of life is wasted because we're just slow? I know this happens in the home, and I know it happens in the business place. People are way too stinking slow. In fact, they've done so much research on this and studies. And, and, and I work with people every day. We're talking about being efficient and effective, right? The, the time people spend in an eight-hour workday, they get done maybe two hours of work. I don't know. This is like the majority of people. And these are studies. This isn't my opinion. These are studies that are done totally independent about workplace effectiveness. Just and in fact, they say that it takes um it takes people, um what was it? Fifteen days, something like fourteen or fifteen days to get in five solid hours of really important work. Isn't that crazy? Again, this isn't my opinion. This isn't even my opinion. these are these are studies that are being done in the business world to say what's what's actually happening most people don't know how to work and they are so slow and ineffective and efficient and sometimes it's not their fault right they've never been trained other times it's like because they're on their phone and they're checking this and they oh gotta go to a coffee break and a smoke break and a drink break and a bathroom break and oh, i just need another break and i'm chit-chatting over here and and going over i'm gonna go oh it's gotta go say hi over here and then i check some emails and we just don't have these systems in place to get things done they're too untrained. I already touched on that, right? But we, we lack training. And it's all about training. Everything is life about training. Rachel and I just did... Um, so this week, we, we spoke twice online, online conferences. And we did... You know, we, are, we have a money mastermind we do. And we have a uh, Extraordinary Family Life formula coaching, a group coaching we do. And we have a home education coaching. So we did all of that this week. We've just been cranking out. One of them was all about training. It was all about training. Training is everything. Conditioning is everything. And in every way of our life, every aspect of our life, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social, financial, all of it, we're constantly training. And, and most of us are under-trained. And if we would trade our entertainment time, our entertaining for training, we'd all be better off, right? And again, man, the firefighters on their phones. Now, I, I understand that They'll use pictures and videos, hopefully for training. But I'm afraid much of it was just for social media. Ugh. Now, I, again, please don't misunderstand me. I love and honor them for doing such hard work, for caring, for trying, for for that hard job, which is often thankless. And probably, I mean, I guarantee it's underpaid. I get it. It's, it's tough. 
And, and I honor them for that. I genuinely do. I was grateful that they were there, that they came. Because had they, had they not come at all, oh my goodness, we would have been in a world of trouble. I get that. I guess I'm just looking at, for me, lessons for me, and I'm sharing with you of ways we can be better, where we can level up and step it up. So may I, may I be a little bit angry or passionate right now about the need to level up, and especially in, in situations like this? Um, again, another one with people crying and collapsing, and, and I get it. I, I am all about feeling the full range of emotions and letting it affect you. I shed some tears over this multiple times. You can't watch another human being die and not feel something. I'm not saying you should be numb, but then there's there's that lesson too of of having some mental toughness and being able to be mentally clear and tough and, and fully engaged when it's needed. Another one obviously was the drinking. It had no business. In fact they were they were pretty out of shape. I don't know. So Sometimes there's people in mountains or situations they have no business being there. But drinking, drinking at 16,000 feet when there's, there's cliffs and exposure? It, I don't know. For me, I'm never, ever going to put anything in my body that weakens my control. And that this experience just can even solidifies that more. I will never put anything in my body that weakens my control, that weakens my judgment. That weakens my clarity of thought. That weakens my my coordination, my understanding, my comprehension, my my ability to think clearly and act clearly. Yeah. Anyways, another one. the The first injury was so bad that the second injury was overlooked. Nobody but I think his name was Andres. Nobody but Andres knew about the second injury because the first one was so bad and required so much attention. Which is, there's interesting principle there. Right. So, anyways, oh, all of that. It's a lot of stuff, right? And you know, you're processing it all. <laughs> I'm still processing it all. And it was just an extraordinary and incredible experience. And I, I, one thing that comes, some takeaways for me is just having that calmness and clarity of intuition to stop and listen and to say, you know, I think I need to wait. And then, you know, just to head back up there to try to help if I can. Right? And to be prepared physically and mentally, emotionally, financially, that you can you can say yes. You know, I know there were people I talked to that said, hey, I, I could not go back up. I was, I was barely physically able to get myself off the mountain, let alone help. Right? I couldn't help. And, and, and uh, there's, there's lots of... And then, you know, to have the, the stamina and the, the mindset and just all around preparation. So, again, this is, I, I love this stuff. And, and my kids and I, we talk about, we always talk about having a particular set of skills, right? That's a line from, from a Liam Neeson movie. He's like, oh, I have a particular set of skills. And, and we want that. We want to develop that. And I'm doing that with my kids literally every day. We're so, Rachel and I are so cognizant of this. And it's so important to us. We constantly are talking about developing skills in ourselves and our kids. Constantly, every day, we're working on skill sets because we want we want to be well rounded and well developed, and able to take care of ourselves and help take care of others if if the 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 opportunity arises. And it's man, my life's work is in this be the man master class. So and 
there's men need it, right? We need we need a tribe. We need training. We need this group. We need you know the resources, the tools to help us become our best selves in all these areas of life. And that's why I created that. So I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make a call right here. Join the masterclass. Join our tribe. Get in there. Make the investment, and and join this this movement for training, for competency, for confidence, for uh, this quest for greatness, to become our best selves, to be leaders and businessmen, to be the best husbands and fathers and disciples and and people, right? Be the best men we can be. Oh, man, this, this stuff's so important. So that, and that's what it's all about. That's what that's what we're putting in there is all the tools and things I've learned over the last 25 years of studying this voraciously and working with thousands of people across five continents. That's what it's all about. And so I guess my, my invitation, if you listen to this, thank you for listening to this. And thanks for going through all this. Thanks for letting me share a very emotional story. And thanks for letting me rant a little bit and, and share some passion. I guess my, my, my sincere desire, genuinely, my sincere desire is just, let's just be our best selves. Let's use our time wisely and be more present. Stop, stop wasting time. Stop procrastinating. Lean in and maximize your full potential, because none of us, none of us are going to feel very confident whenever we're not doing what we know we could, right? And so when we live below what we're capable of, it destroys our confidence and our competence and and our esteem. So let's let's be our best. Pick pick one area of your life right now where you just say, you know what, I want to level up. I want to I want to learn some skills. I want to gain the knowledge, the skills, the ability. I want to step it up. And my guess is, because I work with people every day, and my guess is you've already know some things that you want to do, you've been talking about, you've been thinking about, but you haven't actually done it yet. You haven't taken action, you haven't pulled the trigger. So, so do that. And and maybe it's one of the trainings. Maybe it's our marriage course. You're just like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm gonna invest. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my marriage course. Maybe it's getting healthy. Maybe it's you know joining the masterclass for men. Maybe it's getting in the group coaching or. Take whatever, any kind of course or training or whatever, and just apply it. Make it happen so you can maximize your potential. You and I can be super useful in life for the people around us and for ourselves. Let's, you guys, let's just do this. Let's let's get out there. Let's be our absolute very best selves. Let's live extraordinary lives. And I promise, I feel so confident about this. There's, We're not going to get anywhere near extraordinary if we aren't stepping up and preparing ourselves and working and learning, just constantly growing and improving and, and refining those skills and, and abilities and the mindset, the attitude, the capabilities, the, comp- the competencies, all of it, let's, let's lean in so that life really, truly can be absolutely extraordinary. Love you guys. Reach upward.